0: So welcome to Roundtables on Race, the podcast that seeks to explore the relationship between race and the many facets of our society. I am your host, the Reverend Kathy Walker, and today we're excited to have you join us for this pilot episode. Before we introduce our guests, let me talk for a moment about why this podcast came to be. Conversations around any aspect of race are not simple. They're often complex, nuanced, and layered. Too often, these conversations are given only snippets of time, resulting in surface sound bites that do little to deepen our understanding. So we're taking a different approach. Roundtables on Race explores only one topic a season, with each episode delving into a different facet on that one topic. We'll invite different points of view to broaden our horizons experts to teach us what we may not know and a variety of voices to help us gain a deeper understanding of one another and the world in which we live together we expect some of these conversations to be difficult and at times uncomfortable we're grateful to have with us today guests who are masters in the art of conversations of all kind to help us lay a foundation on which we can build so let us welcome the most Reverend Michael Curry, presiding Bishop of the Episcopal Church. You may know him as the Royal Wedding Preacher or the author of Love is the Way. But here in the Diocese of North Carolina, we call him an old friend as he served as Bishop here for 15 years prior to his election to presiding Bishop in 2015. Welcome Bishop Curry.
1: Thank you, Kathy, thank you.
0: We thank Bishop Curry for becoming acquainted with the Reverend Charles Robinson, whose work we came to know while reading Love is the Way. The Reverend Robinson is the recently retired former rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Park City, Utah, where he founded the Project for Deeper Understanding, an initiative that brings together people on opposite sides of divisive and polarizing issues for respectful dialogue, civil conversation, and mutual education. We're glad you could join us today, Reverend Robinson.
2: Thank you, it's good to be here.
0: And last, but certainly not least, we're joined by an old friend and classmate of mine, Father Christian Anderson. Father Christian is the co-host of A Priest and a Rabbi, a radio program and now a podcast that explores pop culture and the modern world through the lens of Judaism and Christianity. The program is based in Stewart, Florida, where Christian also serves as Associate Rector of St. Mary's Episcopal Church. Welcome to you, Father Christian. Thanks for having me. It's kind of funny calling you an old friend and classmate when by far you're the youngest one among us.
3: <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. I'm like the G League playing with the NBA All-Stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is going to be fun. We going to start here. Over the years, many programs have been created to, you know, to encourage people with differing views to gather and to talk in order to deepen our understanding of those who may be quite different from us. Race is a particularly prickly topic that even after centuries, we still have a great deal of difficulty tearing down those walls that divide us. Conversations begin and oftentimes, as soon as someone starts to get upset, or even begins to shut down, we tend to end those conversations and leave it there. This is not productive, but it does seem safe. But we're hoping that this podcast, roundtables on Race, will keep people engaged, even when the conversation is tough, because we are convinced that we have to help foster better relations in this country. So we thought we would turn to the three of you because you've all had a wealth of experience of opening the lines of communication and a willingness to hang in there, even when it is difficult. So I'm gonna start with you, Bishop Curry, as you have this really global view and you've been on the world stage with these kinds of conversations and ask you, as you travel the world representing a particular faith how do you prepare to approach difficult conversations and particularly those with racial overtones? Um,
1: well, not not to, um, I, I don't want to misrepresent um, uh, uh, Father Robinson um, and and his approach. One of the things that I learned when I first met him and it was, I think we were at a diocesan convention now that I think about it, I guess it was a diocesan convention. and. Bishop Scott Hayashi um, told me about him and we spent, we talked and did a little video and had conversation. But one of the things that that's important is to actually let the conversation arise out of a human relationship of some sort and let that become not the presenting issue, not whatever it is you're discussing about because then that just leads to debate. Like we used to debate in high school and that's okay. Debating ideas is fine, but, When debating ideas actually becomes debating not simply ideas, but people, then that becomes a much more complex thing. So if you're going to talk about race or sexuality or a host of other things that really do matter to us deeply, um, and some of them are in the guise of political, um, remember that this is a human being, a child of God that you're in conversation with. And who is this child of God? Who am I as a child of God? And for the conversation to embrace that. And it doesn't matter what the subject is. Um, if, if, If this is a subject that has impact on human beings and human life, start with us as human beings. From my perspective and our perspective, as brothers, as sisters, as siblings. This is my sister, this is my brother, this is my sibling. And we are in a conversation. Um, I remember when I was in seminary, I'm forgetting most of what I learned, but the one thing I do remember reading Martin Buber's I Thou, um, which is just extraordinary. And he said, you know, there are multiple kinds of relationships. There are I-it relationships and there are I-thou relationships. And I-it relationships turns the transaction turns um, a relationship into a transaction. Um, and a transaction can be manip- all. There are no rules for transactions. Manipulation is fair game. Attack is fair game. You see that on and on and on. Uh, whereas I-thou, if I approach you as thou, um, made in the image of God, then that is just a different starting point and a different context, if you will, that may even be a womb for a new possibility, a new birth, a new life, as opposed to just more polarization.
0: That's fantastic. Okay, thank you. Um, so let's turn to the project for deeper understanding. And if I could ask you, Father Robinson, what inspired that project and how did you see it evolving over the years?
2: Yeah. Okay. Before I answer that question, could I respond to to? Uh, Bishop you can respond Curry?
0: to anything you like.
2: Um, be be careful with that. <laughs> yeah. The uh, there there. I had two thoughts in in um, in support of what um, Bishop Curry just said. Uh, one is that we have to really be. It really helps to be a little bit self-aware when you're going into. A, a conversation that you think, um, and half the time, you know, that you can't, you're caught off guard on the. A, converse, a difficult conversation isn't always predicted to be difficult. <clears throat> Sometimes it becomes difficult in the course of the conversation. But if you can be aware of your motivation, uh, that can really be helpful. Is your motivation, uh, you know, in the church, we talk about transformation all the time. So uh, is your conversation to change this person in front of me, to get them to think differently than they think, um, to transform them into something other than they are? Uh, that's one motivation. Uh, I think it sets you up for all kinds of landmines. Um, I think a better motivation to trying to change someone or win, we love to win, you know so I have to win this argument, Mm-hmm. is I think a better motivation is to, is, you know, am I going to understand this person? Can I come to understand them, um, in a way that I, I don't now, um, so that you, you let your curiosity be the guide rather than, um, other agendas that may lead you to, uh, either accidentally or directly, uh, um, um disrespect the person, uh, lead them to think that you're preaching at them or trying to teach them something or trying to get a leg up. It's, um, I think the far better motivation going into a conversation, especially a difficult conversation is, is uh, okay, I'm, I'm neutral in terms of changing this person, but I don't understand where they're coming from. I don't understand how they came to think the way that they think. I don't know about their journey. I don't know about uh, what they've experienced in their life, what they've read, what they've studied, all those different uh, experiences that are different than mine. And I'd like to know. I'd I'd like to know how they came to think the way that they think. And and that's the human piece um, that Bishop Curry was talking about. The other thing that I would just toss in um, with respect to the human dimension. it comes from research in, the, in psychotherapy. Now, I could be wrong, I'm, I haven't been paying attention to the literature in a while, but um, for the longest time, all of the outcome research in terms, in terms of effectiveness in psychotherapy and counseling, um, the, the, the preponderance of the change, if a person was able to make change in the course of their um, relationship with their therapist, most of that change was accounted for by the quality of the relationship between those two people, not the particular theoretical orientation of the therapist, not the um, uh, not some sort of treatment protocol, not any of the mechanics of uh, the therapeutic process. The thing that had the most bang for the buck, the thing that got the most benefit for the person in counseling was that they came to have a profound relationship with an authentic profound caring relationship with uh, the therapist and vice versa. And I think that's what Buber is pointing to. And I think that's what Bishop Curry was pointing to. So how did the project get started? Well, it it, I came to, when I came to St. Luke's, St. Luke's was um, in the middle of the culture war. Uh, it had um, divided itself, which is kind of ironic because I I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. And one of the reasons I left the Southern Baptist tradition as an adult was there were always these church splits. There were all these big fights <clears throat> and they were horrible. Gosh, whoo, you're talking about ugly. Uh, Christians can get real ugly real fast. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Um, and I thought uh, naively that the Episcopal Church would be different. Turns out there are human beings in the Episcopal Church just like they are in the Southern Baptist Church. We're just a little more polite about things. Um, so when I got to St. Luke's in 2004, uh, the church was split along uh, culture war lines. So that the Congregation had already been through several hemorrhages. And so I came in uh, knowing some of that, not all of it, but, but knowing some of it. And, um, and I came in very naively. Uh, I, was gonna, I was going to be St. Francis and come in and just make peace, you know? Because, um, uh, you know, reasonable people are reasonable. So I would just get people to study Uh, The issues and have reasonable conversations, and you know, we would all stand in a circle and hold hands and sing kumbaya, and it would all be golden. And uh, uh, the naivety of that became apparent within just a few months, and uh, most people had already made up their minds, the train had left the station, uh, and uh, so. Uh, Saint. The upshot of it was that St. Luke's had the uh, uh, experience of being the mother church to the first Anglican uh, church in in Utah. Um, group. Big group went out, left St. Luke's after I got there and split off and started St. John's Anglican Church there. So, given that experience and all the church splits I'd been through. Um, in the Southern Baptist Church. And I just did all my life. I've seen people um, walk out on each other rather than try to understand each other. And so one of the first things we did at St. Luke's was try to, we worked out a set of principles called the St. Luke's Principles of Community. Uh, and we committed ourselves to um, essentially an ethic of a direct and open dialogue and um, then that led to well what do we what if we take this to the community-wide level and, and uh, t- take on issues that are people in Park City and Utah and across the nation are dealing with um, uh, and that's how the project for deeper understanding came into place
0: Thank you that's a great story difficult so that that helps me go into uh, to Christian um, Because I know that you serve Christian in a relatively uh, conservative community, but that one of your um, projects over the last year, your particular work within your community has been to encourage people to step a bit out of their comfort zones and to get to know their neighbors who are people of color who are not far from them, um, but that they have not known in the past and have maybe not even been that interested in knowing in the past. So what has that work represented for you and, um, and how has it sort of evolved over the last year or so?
3: It has definitely evolved. <laughs> I have learned a tremendous amount and of how to approach, uh, let's say uh, community building and uh, let's say race, any, any race-based work. And what the overwhelming lesson I've learned is don't make it about race. Uh, allow that to be the byproduct of community building in my context. This is my context. So I've come from a context where I've had folks tell me that racism doesn't exist. It ended in the civil rights era. Um, we're fine. We're good. This is the greatest place to live. So that's, that's my starting point. So knowing that if you bring up some of the hot topics dealing with racial reconciliation or trying to bridge the racial divide. There's, there's the starting point is there is no divide, right? So, so from one, one side of town. Uh, but what I could get people to buy into, uh, was let's build community and let's develop community and let's be a missional community, which means we get out of our comfort zone and we go out because that's where, as, uh, uh, the, uh, Archbishop uh, Rowan said one time, where do you find Jesus? You find him in the neighborhood of chaos. <laughs> you so you gotta get out of your comfort zone and get out into the world. That's where we find Jesus. So I knew they were big, like our, our community are big Jesus people. So how are we gonna find them deeply? Well, we can do some stuff in here in the silo, but we gotta get out there. Uh, and, and so then, so right across the street is the train tracks in a post-segregationalist community. We're still, those train tracks have divided. And so we have this, this this compact black community that about 95% of my congregation was never walked through. And vice versa, just because blacks don't feel comfortable coming over to the to the white side because of various things that have happened throughout the years. And you know, once upon a time it was a sundown community, and people remember all that. Um, so we just focused on building community and had a lot of good. Uh, black mentors, black leaders from the black, uh, black churches who kind of coached me through this uh, of saying, um, including some in Ferguson, because I called about this and saying, you you don't focus on race at first, you'll lose them. You'll lose people. All right. They, 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 at their jobs, they had race awareness workshops. They did all that's all they're going to be thinking about. And they don't want to deal with that, Um, Um, but they love community. And so with these communities, community development that we learned is says that that's where I just started putting my money on. And I'll say full, like with a full, I'll open up my whole deck here. Um, I was always conscious of going for race right from the beginning because my wife is black. So I knew that if I got up to the pulpit and started preaching that I'm like, ah, oh, well, of course, here comes the, you know, the kid from LA who we just hired uh, from a very progressive diocese married to a black woman. And uh, of course he's gonna be talking to us about race. Uh, and so I I, I I had that deck. So but I said, let's go over and we're going to do a prayer walk with our friends at St Monica's, which is all, all Bahamian parish. Let's go do a prayer walk. Like oh, love to do that. And then we're going to do some prayer walks together. We're going to do an Advent walk together. We're going to do a, a, a Stations of the Cross walk together. And we're going to go sing some hymns together. And then let let's stop doing Alpha in our church. Let's go do Alpha together with the Black community. Let's put it in the community center, in the Black neighborhood. People are like. Okay, sure. I'm like, that's where we're gonna find Jesus. Okay, let's go find Jesus. And when you get something like Alpha or a Bible study, and your table is the most diverse table you've sat at and, you know 60 years of living in Stuart, Holy Spirit just shows up, and so people go from their head to their heart, and people naturally start telling their stories. People start naturally telling their stories, of what it's been like in this community. That's just gonna happen, um, and so it's it's sort of a Uh, build the community first, build the trust, everything that these fine gentlemen have been saying, you got to start with the relationship, building that trust, uh, building those bonds, and then say, okay, it's organically, sometimes it happens. But now after like four years of doing that, now we're at a place where we're starting sacred ground at our church. Now we're at a place where we can just do the beloved community over the last year, we've built the trust, we've built the relationships. It's taken a while. uh, And it's taken me I've, 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 I've learned a bunch and I've, I've screwed it up a bunch and people have left the church because of me going for it really too hard, um, and trying to push an agenda. I wasn't meeting my people where they're at, you know, um, I wasn't loving my community the way that God has called us to, to love the community. Um, so, um, but that's what I've, I would just reiterate what these gentlemen have said, that it's, it's about building, uh, authentic, Relationships and providing the venues of how does your church, how does your community establish trusting and loving and equal relationships with those who might not look like you, and making it the most exciting thing that the kingdom of God can offer. This is not about building, building, bridging the gap of race. This is not about racial reconciliation. It's not about us confronting our white privilege. No, in my context, people will run for the doors and they'll join the mega church. This is about building healthy community and us loving on our community with our sisters and brothers across the way. And people will, will sign up for that and they'll love that because they want that and they want more Jesus.
0: I love that idea. But so Bishop Curry, let me ask you this because I'm always profoundly aware of this whole idea of becoming beloved community. But one of the things that I've told people, you know, in preaching for me is that we have to all get to the beloved community together. Right, so we can't leave people behind, and in order to do that, at some point we do have to say some things about our pain or our history that is going to be a bit uncomfortable for other people sitting in the room. And so the question is, how? I know you can't, you don't want to put it all out there the first time you meet people. I mean, that would be kind of scary, I would imagine, um, and I know that. Um, But at some point in time, as we continue to build these relationships, but when we start to pivot towards having that more difficult conversation about here is the history, here is my pain, how do we um, do it in such a way that we can keep people engaged so they're not running towards the door saying, oh, now, now you want to have this conversation, you know. Uh, How do we do that?
1: Well, I really do think that everything that, Charles and Christian have been saying, um, I think it's just a precursor for any normal, healthy human life and relationship, set of relationship. So, I mean, nothing really happens if the relationship and some level of trust, um, if it's not there, it it just doesn't happen. Um, And uh, anyway, it just doesn't happen. Um, But I'm mindful of the motivation because if my motivation, I guess, I don't want, you don't want to enter into a relationship that is, and and the word manipulation is a little bit too strong, but that is manipulative, not in the strongest sense of that word to get to a conversation about race or whatever. That's, that that, that can be problematic, that can be tough. Um, I do think, there is nothing wrong with being upfront, and, and and we can do this in church. I think because I, I, last time I checked, I think we actually follow Jesus and believe the gospel. So therefore, um, the notion of becoming beloved community, while that language may not be known by everybody, uh, we know about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of love. I mean, they're they're New Testament words for that. That's not alien to us. And to say that that is our goal and destination to become God's beloved community here on this earth. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not just in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. That that's where we want to go and we want to go together. And 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 so let's start by getting to know each other. And and when that and just do that, do the prayer walks, the trust walks. I mean, we are Christians in this community, or we live in this community. Whatever it is that binds us together, you do whatever it you do that, um, you live that. Um, and then um, after some time, now how can we? Create more community, or what impedes community? Well, part of it is going to be race. Part of it's going to be some other thing. Let the com- this is community. One of the things that community organizing helps you to understand is you don't set the agenda completely for the community. You let it arise. I mean, you 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 you're upfront and honest about where you're coming from, but you listen to where other folk are coming from and let em- let it emerge organically and genuinely. If the agenda is racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. upfront, name it. You see, what I'm saying if that's what we want to work at racial reconciliation and we want to work at becoming beloved community, um, but you can't work at becoming beloved community unless you start with community.
0: Yes, yeah, that's very so, true.
1: And so that, that that's I think that's okay because I, I realize we're not talking about we're t- you're talking about community planning and community organizing and working, um, and I think that's where you got to start. I give, I give you well, I don't want to hold. I give you a quick. Um, the, the Sacred Ground um, curriculum um, that is is just remarkable. Um, it, it really is. P- part of the genius of that is it's up front that Sacred Ground is a curriculum about becoming beloved community, about um, facing our racial past and its hardship and difficulties, and then how do we together learn from it, turn to a new direction, and then work together to build human community. So it, that's up front. So everybody's in there knows that's what the agenda is. That's fair game. But even that begins where both Charles and Christian were talking about. Yeah. You see what I mean? It looks, and and that's one of the reasons it's effective because everybody gets skin in the game, everybody gets heard and they have relationships that are built, da 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 That I think is true for conversations about race. The problem with that is it will uh, some people will automatically? I mean, I think it was it Christian said? Um, if you, somebody, one of y'all said, um, if you tell folk, this is another conversation about race. It, a lot of us are going, oh man, I don't had so many of those conversations in my lifetime. Uh, if there's another one coming at me, uh, y'all go ahead and have a good time. I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. Uh, you know, I mean, that's you'll get some of that, um, but that's okay. It's better to be upfront because part of a relationship is trust. Yeah. And trust is built on honesty, some transparency, or the minimum of games being played and manipulation and all that kind of stuff.
0: Exactly. So, in so, how does this translate into a medium like a podcast when we're bringing strangers together to have a conversation, and so where the relationship doesn't um, really exist yet, or it's happening in real time?
1: Can I piggyback on Charles and now I'm going to
0: stop talking? Yeah.
1: (laughs) People have an intuitive sense. At at first, the shields are up. It's like Star Trek. The shields are going to be up if if you don't already know each other. I mean, shields are going to be partially up, not completely up, but everybody's kind of watching and seeing where are you really coming from? Um, You know, what are you really about? And people smell, uh, uh, for the most part, if there's a game being played. And if your motivation is something other than genuine, I think Charles used the word curiosity about this person and about their story. If they smell that, then you won't, it won't go, but so far. If people kind of pick up a sense, you're actually interested in me, you're, you're actually is some curiosity. There is, oh, folk will start talking. I mean, my experience is on podcasts. Folk will tell you, they won't tell you all their business, but you, you, a whole lot of conversation will come up. If you're really, my father was a nut. Um, I, I loved him dearly, but he, he was a priest, which explains half of it right there. But he used to do something. We used to laugh, it was embarrassing to us as a kid. He would sit down, everybody he talked to, he had a little notebook and he would sit down and he said, well, now tell me about this. And he'd be writing down. We never, we have no idea what he was writing, but he was writing in a notebook about this. What it did was, it it sent a signal, I'm actually listening to you. I, I actually, and he was, he was curious about, and he'd be writing down, writing stuff, and and stuff would would potentially pour out that might not. Have. Now that's not true with everybody, but with a lot. I think that genuine curiosity in a conversation, even if you don't have the prior relationship, helps to build one quick, pretty quickly in an interview or a podcast setting. That's been my experience. Um, so it really does help that you really are interested in this person, not for making the podcast famous or interesting, but cause you're actually curious about them.
3: We've had guests on a priest and rabbi where, and we try to get some pretty, we try, we try to get exciting, big personality guests. And so we had uh, a woman who is a fierce uh, Trump supporter. She's African-American. She's got an organization in DC. She's fighting the good fight. Um, for her community, but she is fiercely, fiercely uh, behind her political views. Um, That was the holy curiosity, I would say. It was an entertaining show and a revealing show and an interesting show. uh, But as in transformative for anyone, it was tough because there wasn't this holy curiosity of, I want to learn. And we, we were fascinated by her. We want to learn more about you. But I get the sense that she was really wanting to know more about so It was more like, it was more like, as we said before, where um, Charles, you were saying like, what is your motivation? Is it to win? Is it to transform the other person? Uh, or or is, it, is it really to try to understand? And I think if you could create a podcast where we're creating a space of holy curiosity, we really mm. wanted to want to understand one another. And if you have the guests who do represent the uh, like d- different, different sides of the coin uh, that will, will reverberate. And uh, there was a podcast recently, I forget, that someone talked about just how powerful it was. They had two uh, pastors on in the evangelical world who really, one was very progressive, one was very conservative. And they had them on uh, talking, I believe, about race. Uh, and I'll get it to you, Kathy. And the, the comments, were just like how refreshing these these, these, these two pastors were because they clearly agreed on Jesus Christ. They agreed to love one another. They agreed on really to understand the other person and treat each other. with Shane Claiborne was one of them actually. And it was whoever is the opposite of Shane Claiborne out there. And they took on gun violence. They took on race. They took on all the hot topics. But I think they created the atmosphere beforehand. I think the podcast was like, listen, I, I don't want Maury Povich. I want us to reflect the kingdom of God and for you two gentlemen to reflect that to the rest of this community. And I bet they did a lot of praying before that podcast to really see each other as equals and as as fellow children of God.
2: Well, Well, you asked the question about podcasts and it's certainly not my area, but I, I, I think when you're going to get strangers together to, to, to tackle an issue, um, then how you set it up, the, the structure becomes really essential. There, there, there has to be a very clear set of uh, guidelines or behavioral suggestions or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that those have to be really crystal clear before, before you ever start. Um, my experience is, is that folks generally can, can live within the limits of a particular structure, if you're clear about those limits from the get-go. But it if you if you try to impose those limits or that structure after things have started to devolve, yes. Rots are ruck. Because um it, it, it generally once the train has left the station, it's hard to rein things back in. And and <clears throat> and then you then you're left if you're able to rein it back in, then you're left with this sort of all- uh Hotel wife.
3: I got him. Oh no. He got, got, Oh my God. He was right in the middle of it. Oh gosh. He was, he had something so juicy. He was about to land it. I know he was really, it was getting good. Oh my God. Oh, he was about to drop the mic, Kathy. Maybe
0: he'll he'll get back. Maybe he will get back before. So that he has, but
3: you have to establish that. I think you saying you have to establish, you say, you've got to establish the environment, establish the atmosphere because our, our leaders, a lot of our, our leaders out there, um, it, respect compassion understanding empathy does not sell that's not what's selling right so over the last 20 years we've seen the loss of that in our political leaders we used to be able to watch Walter Concrete and learn and get like just get some solid news and we yeah. trusted him and then we see our senators fight but then go on and grab a steak dinner that's gone um, right so that doesn't yeah. sell so the, the 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 church the the people of faith should be we we got the book on this we should be the leaders and being the lead of how do you have people in polar opposites have a compassionate, okay. loving, understanding conversation. And when it does happen, people are like, people are so starving for that. I'm, I'm trying to find this podcast for, I'm sorry, Shane Claiborne and someone where people are just like, oh my yep. gosh, finally, please show us how two people on opposite sides can and sit there and have a loving conversation with the Holy Spirit present. But I'm sure it takes, it, it, you have to establish the, the ground rules and say, this is what we're doing here.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have said about this podcast is that it's not going to be like it's not an Episcopal podcast, but it is going to be driven by faith. That will be the undercurrent of all that we do so that people really understand. And civil conversation is really going to be, I hope, always the cornerstone of this. And I think that's one of the reason why. reasons why Christine said there may be moments where we have to stop and let everybody kind of catch their breath and, and regroup so that we can continue to have civil conversations because i agree i think that when we get into that kind of maury Povich kind of thing nobody's listening to that anyway you know that's that's strictly for entertainment and that doesn't help the cause and it doesn't deepen any any conversation or understanding of anyone Um, so it is my hope and prayer that um and we may not get it right all the time but the goal is always going to be and really asking that question of how people's faith informs the way that they go about doing this kind of work, (laughs) you know, and so we talked a little bit about that, you know, in terms of even with the news media, you know, um, that as faith communities, as we're doing this work around race, what is the calling of news organizations to look at how the ways in which they have projected others um, onto their screens, how has that impacted uh, people's perception of who the other is. And, and what is the reckoning and the accounting for that? Um, so those are the kinds of things that we're sort of interested in looking at, you know, across a wide spectrum of topics. And um, But it will always have the, um, the, the, the understanding that God is in this, God is in the midst of us, and that we can only do this with God's help.
1: You know, one of the things you might do um and i i'm saying i hadn't thought about it but it, until now but given the fact that you're intentionally potentially entering controversial territory and whatever it is you're talking about right um have some i mean it's good to have the ten commandments so to speak but you do need <laughs> some enabling resolutions which is what the rest of the Torah is you know what i mean yeah. that's it's good that's why you got all these holiness codes and levitical codes <laughs> all that stuff and stuff and, and, and so um to have that we want to have civil and real conversations that are interesting and that are vibrant and that are engaging and yet we want them to really be genuinely civil well what are some norms for a civil conversation you know what i mean to actually have those out for people who participate in it and people who don't want to who aren't going to do that and want to do the maury povich thing well you go ahead there's a tv channel for you. <laughs> um but we're about to and you can have vigorous and interesting conversations with yeah. and, Um, It it can really happen. And the people who would blow stuff up are going to opt out.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) So that might
1: be help. That's one practical kind of thing.
0: That is very helpful. Appreciate that. We will work on the church.
3: We've, 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 we've had, uh, when we got together this group of folks who did alpha from all these different churches, there was, so this was like during the pandemic, we're like, how do we answer and how do, how do we have these difficult conversations in church? Like, really, we should be the ones to be able to lead this. And we're just saying, no, don't talk about it at all. Uh, and so we, so I had this, this uh, pastor that I found in Christianity today, uh, um, Steve Miller, Reverend Steve Miller's pastor, Steve Miller on Texas. And he was the guy who told me a uh, black gentleman does a lot of work in racial reconciliation. I told him my context I'm in and he goes, Christian, do not talk about race yet. You're not ready for that. I want you to talk about empathy and I want you to talk about nonviolent communication. And so we started a book study and this is a, a wonderful tool. The nonviolent communication Institute by Marshall Rosenberg. It is a great way to get like and this is another, which goes back to that previous conversation, how to get people to the table. so they don't be like, Oh gosh, another conversation about race. Stop it. Um, say we want the tools to have these conversations. We want to be able to in church to talk about sex. We want to talk about politics. We want to talk about race, but right now, if we do it, our church is going to split. Um, so let's get the tools. Let's be the peacemakers that Jesus calls us to be in the Beatitudes and people are like, okay, how do we do that? Well, Marshall Rosenberg's got this nonviolent communication. It's all about compassionate communication. We want we want the skills. We believe God has ordained this guy to give us some skills. And so, so far it's really helped. We're about to do our second season at church and then help that lead us into another heavier program where we're gonna, like you're saying Bishop Curry, just go right at it. Now we're gonna hit the head on the, we're gonna, we're gonna go for the, the head of the nail. We're talking about race but we're going to do a couple seasons of nonviolent communication so we can speak from compassion, from respect, to understand each other, hear each other. Uh, we want to be prepared for it because we do not feel prepared. We just don't.
1: Got another suggestion. Watch, I think it's on HBO. It's right, Charles yeah, Christian just reminded me. It, it, it's um, about nonviolent communication, the movie Oslo. Uh, so okay. It's based on the play about the Oslo Accords. Um. And, and it, it's, it's on HBO right now, um, and it was on Broadway. I don't know, if, well, who knows what's on Broadway right now, but I mean, it was on Broadway, <laughs> but, but um, they've made a film of it. It is, um, it, is a, it is a study in precisely that. Wow. That's
0: great.
1: And the Oslo Accords came out of people doing that, having to hear each other's stories, yeah. having to actually hear the person and experience the person And curiosity about really? Well, tell me about your mother. Oh, oh. And listen, and and the Oslo Accords came out of that. I'm telling you, in the I've been in some tough negotiation situations, variety of them. Um, and I've been in some, and some better worked out better than, but I can tell you where the relationships happened, something better emerged, even if it wasn't perfect. Where the relationships didn't happen. And it just was all trench warfare. World War One. It was trench warfare. Nothing's mm-hmm. happened. You you just got to yeah, call. It, uh,
0: not even peace. You just kind of just stop fighting. And you do walk
1: fight. away, maybe. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I want to thank you all so very much for your time. I know that you've got busy, busy schedules, and <laughs> and I appreciate that. And I really appreciate all of the advice that you have given me. And um, and I just look forward to uh, sharing the podcast with you once it's. You know, it's on the air, and um, and also just to say thank you. And when we call you again, we hope you'll answer the phone. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Always, (laughs) when I saw Kathy Kathy on my cell phone, I picked that thing up. I'm like, Kathy Walker calling me. She's calling me. I know,
1: I know, (laughs) calling me. (laughs) I know, Kathy and Christine, this is a team I can't say no to.
0: wow well, you all are awesome and so oh. thank you so much and uh we'll we'll get a, a message to reverend charles when we can oh god bless him thank yeah. you yeah. He, he was worried about that wi-fi but he almost held out oh. <laughs> okay we, look forward to, to you again god bless now Peace.
1: god you. bless
3: bye, <laughs> bye.
0: bye.